Our gospel lesson picks up from last week. It is the, the fourth chapter of Luke. Listen to the word of God. And then Jesus began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do you hear also in your hometown the things that you, we have heard you did in Capernaum? And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Nahum the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our hearts, our minds, and our souls that through your word proclaimed, we may hear you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this week, Sarah Huckleby Sanders, in an interview, said she believed that God wanted Trump to be president. Okay, I'm just going to wait a minute and let the tension get real high in the room. <laughs> Drink a little water. <laughs> now, there certainly has been some pushback, but I know there are some Christians and actually a few Jews as well who would agree with her. Now, of course, one, if one believes that God, rather than the Electoral College, put Trump in the presidency, one would also have to hold out that if God chose Trump, he may have chosen Trump as a judgment, not a blessing, right? That's in, the, that's in the realm of possibility in the Hebrew Scripture. And if you say that, then you also have to say that Barack Obama was chosen by God to be president, which I'm pretty sure she would not say. You know, it's really interesting if you start going through the list of presidents. Again, and forgive me, I'm a historian, so I like that. So if you start out, it's pretty good. George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, okay? Our country probably would not be here if we didn't start out with such good leadership, particularly George Washington, okay? But then, okay, then you got to go to, okay, you could say Abraham Lincoln, right? Perhaps our greatest president. But then, why did God give us James Buchanan and Andrew Johnson on the other sides? Arguably two of our worst presidents. See, it's kind of a tricky thing. What's really interesting, if you're interested in this subject, you can read the sermons that were given in churches both before the Civil War and during the Civil War. And you can read sermons from the North. Okay where some people talked about Abraham Lincoln as being the new Moses. Okay. And you can read sermons from the South. He doesn't do as well down there. 
to say the least, right? Okay. All right. All this speculation is problematic. To state definitively what God is doing in a particular situation is at best the sin of presumption. Okay. Matter of fact, I think it was after the election of 2004, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer invited me to have a debate with uh, the president of Westminster Theological Seminary who said that you could definitely see the hand of God in the 2004 election. And one of my responses to him was, well, if he can see it, then God's telling him stuff he hasn't been telling me. Okay? And depending on how you read the history, that can be really problematic. Um, now, in, in, in Ms. Saunders' defense, she prefaced her comment with the idea that she felt everyone has a call in their life. And, you know, I tend to agree with that point. I think there's a general call on the life of every Christian. God wants us all to receive his grace. God calls us all to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with the world. God calls each of us to love our neighbor. God wants us to stand with the oppressed and the poor, you know, to do the Jesus stuff, the stuff he talked about last week. And even specific calls. You know, my own sense of call to ministry. You know, I have some gifts for this, but they could have been used doing something differently. I certainly have a lot of knowledge about what I'm doing, but that's because I've committed my life to learning. I could have learned a different discipline. I have a very high view of this office, but not a particularly high view of myself. <laughs> you know, I think beyond the gift of serving the church and helping you all to learn your gifts, I've come to understand that God has called me into this work because this is his way of getting me to heaven. If I was an easier convert, I could have been a history teacher or a lawyer, right? But God needed to do a lot of work on me. So he said, what's one way we can get him to church every week? I know. Now, sometimes I think there are more specific calls in the Bible. And it's usually around critical junctures in holy history. For instance, Jeremiah our passage that we just read was called to be a prophet during the worst days of the nation. And he will endure great suffering for it. I think Jeremiah has one of the worst job descriptions in the Bible. Every mother has a calling to raise her children. But only one mother was called to be the mother of God. And of course, being called to something is no guarantee of success. Which brings us to Jesus today. Now last, how do you go from at the beginning of your sermon to thinking, wow, he's wonderful, to them at the end of his sermon wanting to kill you? Actually, I, I've been there before. so I, I, right But, uh, you know, as in the words of Ron Burgundy and Anchorman, boy, that escalated quickly right there, didn't it? It went bad quickly. Um, and I don't think it's because God predestined for them to become an angry mob. Sure, there's a psychological social dimension here. You know, a prophet has no honor in his own home. I have to tell you this story. It's, it just reminded me of it. But right before I was ready to serve my first church, my dad was talking about uh, one of his co-workers. He goes... 
He's become a religious fanatic. I go, what do you mean by that, Dad? He goes, well, he goes to church all the time. He talks about God all the time. I go, well, Dad, I mean, I'm, that's what I do. I'm a minister. He goes, no, it's different. They pay you to do it. <laughs> but I think the problem here is that they, on a fundamental level, were looking for what they thought God would do, or for that matter, who they thought God was. God was the national God of Israel. They were his chosen people. And therefore, God will send a Messiah in order to liberate his people from the oppression of the pagans, of the Romans. That was what their expectation was. Okay? And Galilee was kind of a hotbed of messianic expectation. Okay? But when Jesus offers them a different vision, and it is kind of an offensive vision, okay? He didn't go for the light stuff. Well, he kind of started out with this lovely idea of God's reign where the oppressed will be set free, the blind will see, the poor will have good news preached to them. Who, who could be against that, right? Everybody can be for that, right? But then when he started to talk about the fact that God gives his gifts to the outsider. Matter of fact, every illustration he gives is of God blessing a non-Jew. Then they went from going, wow, this kid did okay, to we got to kill this guy. So they were not really seeking God, but they were seeking their image of God. Which tragically made these devout monotheist idolaters. Idolatry is really the mother of all sins, okay? If pride is the mother of all vices, then idolatry is the mother of all sins. And quite simply put, idolatry is having something else be God other than God. And what's particularly dangerous for religious people is that sometimes we fall in love with our image of God, which can not help but be tainted by our own limitations, including our own prejudices. And it's okay on one level that that's where we're at, okay? <laughs> you know, we, we start out with child, you know, our childlike understanding of God. I think I've told the story before that, to my great horror, one time I found out that my four-year-old thought that we were praying to me when we prayed to our father. Okay? That's an honest mistake, right? A four-year-old makes it. Okay? Well, we all make kind of honest mistakes. We can't help but look at God through our own time, our own nationalistic tendencies, whatever they might be. Okay? All right? our own ethnicity 
Right. We, we're, we're, we're confined to time and space, right? Okay. I think growing as a Christian is to have some of those idols shattered. So grace is a gift. The gift of God's grace is free, but knowing God takes a little bit of work, sometimes a lot of soul work. Not that you're earning God's salvation, but you're open to be changed so that whatever you hold to be true that might not be true can be transformed. I one time had someone come to my office and said, I've lost my faith. I go, okay, well tell me what your faith was. And after she told me, I go, well that was a good thing to lose. <laughs> I said, because that's not, that's not quite right. That faith you had wasn't going to get you through your life. So we can't earn God's love. It's free. But what we do have to work through is what separates us from who God truly is. How do we learn? How do we grow? And life will teach us those things. Life and circumstances will teach us those things. Okay? Eventually we're going to figure out that, okay, God loves me on good days. God loves me on bad days. And my good days aren't necessarily because I've done everything right. And certainly my bad days are not because I've done something wrong. Okay? Now, there can be some truth in there, right? Okay? You know, I drive too fast. Not that that ever happens. But let's say I was driving too fast and I happened to get a speeding ticket. Right? Even though I was going downhill. And everybody was passing me. And they caught me. All right? But nonetheless, okay... I was breaking the speed limit. Okay, that's, that's just parenthetical, right? Okay. All right. I just can't drive in the state of Maryland for a while. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're tricky in Maryland. They really are. No, uh, so that, that, all right, you can say me getting, getting a ticket was a bad thing, but that was kind of my fault, all right? But there are a lot of bad things that don't happen to, happen to people because it's not their fault. You know, I've got friends and people I love very dearly who are dealing with things right now that you can't blame them for, all right? You can't blame somebody for what their chemistry, body chemistry does, right? So, figuring out who God really is is a lifelong process, but that's, there's, a, there's a splitting away, there's a stripping away. Christian Wyman, I think I've quoted him uh, over the last month. I'm reading this beautiful book uh, he's probably one of our great great poets and you know it's not we're not people who are used to reading and listening to poetry nowadays but he says this in his book he held radical light I don't really believe in atheist nor in true believers for that matter one either lives towards God or not the word God is of course an abyss bright or dark depending on the day but there is no middle ground, no cautious agnosticism in which to settle, no spiritual indifference that is not even with accompaniment by a high refinement and exquisite intelligence, tupor. I know we need communal ritual and meaningful creeds, yet I know too that all this emerges from an intuition so original, in some ultimate sense, to define is to defile. One either lives towards God or not. 
And what's tricky about this, okay, is that it turns out, at least on this particular day, all of these very religious people in synagogue in Nazareth were not living towards God. The pagans that Jesus mentioned in his sermon were going the right direction. The good church people of Nazareth were not. We are called to live, and that means we are called to both enjoy and to suffer. We are called to follow God, which entails both faith and doubt. I think of poor Jeremiah. I I don't know why I called the sermon in the bulletin. I guess because Gina said, I need a title for the sermon. And that was the first thing that came to me. But the sermon's titled, To Build Up. But in this passage, there's there's more tearing down and building up. Uh, Jeremiah will minister um, over the worst decades of Judah, over Jerusalem. He will be persecuted. He will be nearly killed multiple times. His own family tries to assassinate him. He doubts God. He's hated. And it turns out that he's right. His prophecies are right. But guess what his prophecies were? That his land and his town and his people would be destroyed. And he lived to see it happen. My guess was on the day as he's watching the destruction of Jerusalem, he wasn't particularly happy that he was right. And so sometimes the times we live in, there's more tearing down than building up. In our, in our own lives, you know, this, this idea of, in, of inevitable progress just isn't, isn't true. You know, there's starts and stops. There's ups and downs. Even evolution. Evolution isn't a straight line. That's a, bad under, that's a misunderstanding of it. All right? So the very nature of biological existence, the very nature of human culture is one of starts and stops, of one of great moments of high culture and many, many moments of destruction and debasement. And so this sense of how do we know what God is doing in the midst of all this? Well, I don't know that we can know what God is doing in the midst of this. Our two passages give us two kind of points of reference. Jeremiah knew that God had called him to do something. That God was with him. Even though Jeremiah didn't really want to do it. Okay, Jeremiah tries to quit from the beginning. All right. But Jeremiah knew that somehow God was with him. And Jesus knew somehow that what he was saying had been fulfilled in their hearing. What we know here is God has certainly given each of us the gift of his grace. If we've said yes to it. Okay, maybe you have not said yes to it yet. But God has offered you his grace and his mercy. You've been baptized into his family. You've been confirmed into the faith. And in a few minutes, you're going to partake in the very mercies of God 
and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. God is with you always until the end of the world. But how you work all that out in your individual life is not so certain. For Jesus, there were good days and there were bad days. I don't know how you would count them. Okay. But the last days were not so good. I'm pretty sure Jeremiah had a lot more bad days than they had good days. But the reality that God was with Christ, the reality that God was with Jeremiah, is without question. Jeremiah questioned it. Maybe even Jesus wondered about it, at least in the garden. But their individual circumstances and the way people responded to them did not compromise or dilute the idea that God was on their side and with them. I cannot guarantee you that your daily saying yes to God is going to make things easier for you. Saying yes to God made both Jeremiah and Jesus' life much more complicated and painful. But I do know that God wants you in his life and in his family. He wants you forever. He wants to give you his love and his grace. And that whatever you face, as long as you're leaning that direction, okay? And sometimes we don't even know, right? There are days I'm not sure which side I'm on, right? But if you have an inkling to move towards God's love, if you are willing sometimes even to move an inch, then God's willing to span the whole breadth of the cosmos to be with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand again and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.